Welcome, listeners, to Out of the Box with your host, Jonathan Russo. Our guest today is attorney and author James Stuber. After earning degrees in political science at UPenn in Columbia and his law degree at Georgetown, James served as chief legislative assistant to a senior member of the U.S. House of Representatives. James then embarked on a career in private practice, but in 2014, he returned to public policy as he began research on his book, What If Things Were Made in America Again? So much has happened since we last spoke to Jim about China. Our last episode with him was devoted to the rise of Trump and what role China played in creating that rise. Since then, the No Limits friendship between Russia and China has been announced and Ukraine invaded. We're going to ask Jim what could possibly be behind such a bizarre and egregious decision. Welcome back to the show, Jim. Oh, thank you, Jonathan. So great to be back with you. Interesting question. Uh, I would start with just uh, they're looking for an ally against the West. You know, I think there really is an ideological component here and a geopolitical component. And so it's clear uh, China wants to uh, to eclipse the Western democracies uh, in its influence in the world. And I think that they were just looking for a junior partner. Why would they want to eclipse the Western democracies? Did not a Tesla plant open up, you know, near Shanghai? Is that not Western technology? Is Elon Musk not a Western businessman? Isn't their platform or their lifestyle or all their things that they're doing with their economy Western oriented? Isn't ByteDance, the TikTok platform, cleaning up the West? Doesn't it have, you know, hundreds of millions of Western teenagers addicted to their video format? So why do they want to close out the West or eclipse the West? It seems like the West is what's been feeding them. It's interesting that they would be so intent on killing the golden goose. But I do believe that Xi Jinping's father was uh, with Mao in the founding of all of this. And I believe that there is a line of ideology that runs through all of it that was supported in 2008 when they concluded that our system really doesn't work. Of course, it wasn't working very well at the time. And so they said, yes, socialism is better. So I believe that uh, their idea of socialism with Chinese characteristics, you could call it capitalism with Chinese characteristics. They don't want to just say capitalism is better. They, I think there's a, there's a lot of true believers that they believe that their socialist uh, ideology is okay. better. And okay. then you co- combine that with uh, trying to overcome 100 years of humiliation. They really do want to recapture what they view as their place on the pedestal uh, you know, of, of world influence. Okay, I get that. You know, that's smart. I understand that. But wouldn't you do that by showing rather than confrontation? But wouldn't you, if you were trying to just show the world and maybe the West that their system was better, why be confrontational with a partner and a business partner that you have? That's what baffles me. I mean, okay, you want to show your systems better? Just show it to us. Let us see it. Why throw the confrontation in our face? Well, you know, they haven't really been confrontational except in all these surreptitious ways of stealing our technology, requiring us to enter into these joint venture agreements. So we have to give them our technology. And so they've really kind of worked hand in glove with our globalist corporations and Wall Street 
to create this this Chinese economy. But at the end of the day, you know, they want it to be theirs. They want to own it, and they don't want to be beholden to us for for all of this technology. So it hasn't been blatantly confrontational, I think, except in the terms of their military buildup. Yeah. Okay. Let me tell you, as I always want to do, and, and you're so polite to listen, let me tell you a pet theory I've developed about this situation. You know, Jim, I'm not a scholar like you. I'm not an attorney. I have never been in the legislative area. I was a businessman for you know 40 years. And when I look at the Xi-Putin merger, if you will, what I see is two businessmen getting together and deciding that they want to together shut down all thought and freedom of their two respective populations, the 1.4 billion Chinese, the 200 plus million Russians, and basically create robots out of these people. I mean, when you look at the censorship going on in China now, and now the censorship going on in Russia, the absolute lack of freedom of information, the being force-fed the lies 24 hours a day, seven days a week about Ukraine, uh, the stories they're telling, the criminal penalties for any dissension or any calling of this quote a war. When you read about the media censorship in China, that a video of showing anything that they don't want to see is immediately taken down and the police are investigating anybody that has any sort of contrary opinion to what the Communist Party wants to tell you. It really looks to me like their goal is to literally create robots out of their people. And they that's their common goal. Both arrived at different for different reasons, Xi and Putin. So they're natural allies in that this is what they want of their population. They don't want one scintilla of foreign information to ever be accessible to their people. So it's a business decision. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, we have two people uh, with common philosophies and, and what they, as you said, what they have in common is power at any cost, that they really want to have these subservient populations uh, through any means. And so they, you know, they're just allied in philosophy and so why not shake hands? It's kind of like two bullies dividing up the territory. Here, let's let's get together or two mafiosos. Uh, let's right. let's work together. But I, I think that uh, there is this commonality of uh, no holds barred power at any cost. Uh, and that that certainly includes uh, the information that your population gets, uh, these the total stifling of any dissent. Uh, they're just both, you know, both of the same mind when it comes to that, that's for sure. The Communist Party was always that way, and Putin came up in that in the KGB and the Communist Party in the Soviet Union. Uh, he's just perfectly willing to use the same techniques for his own power. Okay, so that theory isn't isn't cockamamie. It's actually probably you know accurate that this is how they want their they want their subservient populations to be just that totally subservient. And that's the, their, their mutual goals. And that's what they need to remain in power. OK, but it looks to me like the Ukraine invasion has basically set the world on fire. I mean, as much as I can remember the world being on fire, it seems to be on fire right now. I don't think that's a total exaggeration in the sense that uh, wheat prices have skyrocketed countries like Egypt rely on 80% of their caloric intake to come from wheat. 
the vast majority of that comes from you know Ukrainian or Russian wheat. Cooking oil is now in short supply. All these food price increases across the globe are going to create starvation at the margin of those who are already you know calorie deprived. So Russia now is threatening uh, London and Paris. You know they're commentators on television and presenters are, you know, gleefully giggling at, you know, how fast the Russian uh, nuclear weapons can, you know, obliterate London and Paris and, you know, carry on to, to New York. Does that seem like a conducive place to start selling Chinese goods? I mean, if you're a European and you now think that maybe you're not going to be around in a couple of weeks or months because you're going to be nuked and your whole family is destroyed in, 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 a, in a major European city, you're going to go buy a new Chinese Every air conditioner, whatever you know, they're selling, which is you know every a new dress. I mean, doesn't it seem like strange that that China would endorse somebody who is basically upsetting the global order that they've so benefited from with their foreign trade deficits with the EU, their biggest trading partner? I don't think they saw it coming, Jonathan. I, I think that. Uh... Uh-huh. They also got blindsided, as most of the rest of the world did. You know, I mean, even Vladimir Zelensky really did not think they were going to invade. Good point. So I I think that uh, there's no way that Xi Jinping would have invited Putin to the Olympics if he really thought Putin was was going to do, you know, what what he did. Or if he did, I'm just thinking out loud, uh, he might have thought, oh, you know, it'll be over in a few days like Crimea. (laughs) And so that'd be okay, but I, I just don't think that he thought he would go this far. But the other, the other thought I have is, you know, all of those uh, bellicose statements you were saying have been coming out of Chinese generals and and leaders at least since 2010. You know, when they took this turn toward bellicosity, and they've been saying very similar things, mm. uh, you know, all along, and and. Uh, the famous one that Xi Jinping said last July on their 100th anniversary is, you know, we're going to be uh, bashing your heads against this great wall of steel. I mean, yeah, it just conjures up. And broken uh, bones. Didn't he reference broken bones? I think he may have. Uh, I think that was in this quote that you're talking about, something like we'll be bloodied and with broken bones. But th- yeah. Jim, doesn't this go back so, to didn't this go back to Mao? Didn't doesn't it sound just like Mao? Yeah, but doesn't now one say something like, you know, China could survive any nuclear war with the West because it had, you know, 800 million people at the time or something? Didn't he once like imply that this would be an unequal disaster? Yes, I think he did. Yeah, I think he did. So my point is that you've had this kind of talk coming out of China for, you know, the better part of the last 10, 12 years. And so it's like two systems who have this cadre of people who, you know, there are plenty of Chinese generals who would like to go to war with the United States and get it over with the way they did with India. They think they'd win. It's very dangerous. And I keep, I keep thinking back to uh, Japan in the thirties and how much China sounds like that and Germany in the thirties and how much Putin sounds like that. Uh, It's just, to me, it's quite frightening. the, The parallels so I don't think you're exaggerating that they've lit the world on fire and we're just trying to figure out what kind of a conflagration it could turn into here or whether we're going to be able to contain it. 
Yeah. You know, some very smart people um, have been writing about China and, and Xi, uh, Gordon Chang amongst them, may, but mm. many others also. And they just keep pointing out that he can never be wrong. <laughs> that Correct. Yes. They, they, this is fascinating to me. Oh, that, yeah. And that's what's going on in Shanghai right now. Yeah. He can't be wrong about uh, right. zero COVID policy, at least not till he gets reelected for another five years. Yeah, they keep saying that he can't be wrong. I mean, so he's positioned this that he can every word out of his mouth, every phrase, every policy is absolutely accurate and cannot be modified or changed because, you know, he's she. And I guess the backing the Russians with the no limits com conversation, he can't publicly back down from that now. You know, I don't know right. if he's calling Putin on the, you know, the, the secret hotline that they may have, you know, saying, come on, you know, rethink this or do something, you know, get out of this. This is costing us, you know, a lot of money and it's driving up energy prices. You know, when the when the price of energy goes up and people paying in Texas five dollars a gallon for gas or something, you know, the Walmart sales can't possibly, you know, e e be, be what they were. You know, people can't possibly mm. eat out and do the things that they do. The global economy has to contract as the Chinese economy already is contracting from the rapid rise in food and energy prices. So this is a global negative for China on a huge discretionary basis. So. Of course, he may be calling up, but he can't say that in public, right? Right. But, you know, as you have very well pointed out, uh, Xi Jinping is caught in this, the trap of the authoritarian of can't be wrong. The authoritarian one man rule person can't ever be wrong. But unfortunately, that's what Putin has gotten caught up in. He can't be wrong about invading yeah. Ukraine. And so he is just digging his hole deeper and deeper and killing hundreds of thousands in the process. So Xi Jinping is stuck with the fact that Putin is caught in that authoritarian trap of not being able to be wrong about Ukraine. I mean, Xi Jinping couldn't talk Putin out of it at this point. That's for sure. Right. OK, that's really fair. Let's go on and speculate. You know, there's a big spec. Every article I read about China now always mentions that she is up for another five-year term. I think it's the summer or early next year or something like that. And mm. you know, he's trying to do this and to do that to ensure his term, et cetera, et cetera. Is there any possibility that he wouldn't, quote, be elected to another five-year term? Mm. I mean, is he really running for office like we Western, we in the rest of us already killed and imprisoned and tortured all of his uh, opposition, and this is another rubber stamp of the 300-person Politburo. I mean, you know that you're following this a lot closer than I ever could because you really understand this. What is? Why is the West constantly dragging this out? Like that, that there's some like dispute. Maybe he would not be, you know, elected again. Is that possible? I believe it is. We can't put a percentage on it. Is it five percent? But uh, you know, I, I just saw a, a fascinating article about some tiny cracks maybe emerging in support for Xi Jinping that would have been unthinkable just months ago. Last year, he said, okay, no, 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 we're going to start back toward socialism, more state control. We're going to rein in these monopolies that we've created in these various tech sectors. And there was a real tightening down going on. And then the uh, standing committee or whichever committee meets, uh, you know, in January, they, took, they looked at their year-end economic numbers and going, this is not working. 
And so you've seen just in the last week or so, you know, that he that they're announcing, oh, we're going to we're actually yeah. we're going to lighten up on these tech firms and, you know, we're not going to do this and that. So he's really walking a tightrope on the economy because that was all she's idea. You know, this is Xi yeah. Jinping thought they've got their little red books now, yeah. but unfortunately they're on their iPhones, so they can tell how much time you're spending in your little red book. You know, now yeah. it's it's authoritarianism on steroids. So, but these, that was all Xi's idea to do this. And now the people, you know, who might have a say in this are, are saying he's killing the golden goose. And then Xi's idea was the zero COVID policy. And so now in Shanghai, you're seeing really the first uh, outbreaks of civil disobedience and protests that yeah. you've seen probably since uh, Tiananmen Square. Yeah. Because people are saying this is being totally was mismanaged. I'm an upper middle class Chinese living in Shanghai, and I can't get enough food for my family. And I discovered that actually there's a bunch of it rotting down there that they didn't get distributed. And so uh, that's another uh, angle. This is coming at Xi, where you're getting some genuine unrest. So there's just all this, you know, these things kind of kicking around here that do raise the possibility, certainly not a probability that he's just not invincible as he seemed to be last year. Well, we'll see, because I have a feeling that if he found out the 5% of the people that were opposing him or you know, verbalizing that he wasn't uh, the greatest thing since uh, Mao or whatever, he'd have them arrested in jail. I don't think that he's really going to sit there and like allow an opposition to develop to him uh, if he can help it. I mean, I, that, I, I see a violence, you know, the only way to remove him is, is violence. But you know, to your yeah, point, perhaps so. Yeah, okay, to absolutely. Your, to, to your point, there was a fascinating article in uh, the FT this weekend. It was like Weijian Shan. Weijian is basically the Warren Buffett of China in a way. He's a big investor and has created this uh, fund, this PAG fund that's like got hundreds of billions of dollars in investments, global investments. He's just so successful in as, a, as an entrepreneur and a capitalist, if you will. And the headline is, symbol of capitalist China success risks Beijing's anger. And the quote that they attribute to him, which I you know, hope he's still alive to, to, to you know, read in the paper, says, quote, we have a leadership who think they know best I think their knowledge and their rationality are limited. Mm. So he says, quoted as saying this, I think it was a hot mic. I don't think he said it like Jack Ma did in a public forum. Right. But, but he said it in enough places where people can, you know, can print this in the paper, which may actually jeopardize his, his he may be kidnapped and, and held hostage yep. and disappear like, a, like like any other big mouth that, that, that opens his mouth in, against Xi in China. But my point is, to your point that, yes, there seems to be some people saying the emperor has no clothes here. And I think the Russia situation and the Putin backing um, is it could be the, the nail on the coffin. Yes, it could be COVID. It could be the slowing economy. We both read that uh, they're going to now build more infrastructure, which is, you know, their their central bank. Uh, QE2, you know, their QE4, yes. QE limited. They're just going to flood the economy with more ridiculous debt and build more airports and more, you know, high-speed trains to nowhere and more more shopping, you know, malls and, you know, infrastructure, other things that they don't need that, that are underutilized. That's their stimulus. Um, we know that game. They've been playing it, you know, forever and getting, you know, they thought they were going to stop playing it, but obviously they're addicted to it. They can't stop playing it. 
But when you get a businessman making a comment like that, that's a crack. And I really think it, a lot of it is the Russia backing. I mean, these people don't go to Russia. They go to New York. You know, they go to Paris. You know, <laughs> yeah. they don't have, you know, no, nobody, no, no Chinese billionaire is buying a, uh, a DACA on the Volga River. You know, they're buying Bordeaux estates and they're buying <laughs> London townhouses and they're buying the Wall of Astoria and they're sending their kids to Yale, Harvard and whatever. You know, they're not sending their kids to, you know, Moscow U. So I've been backing Putin and, and turning his back and, and, and throwing a middle finger to the entire Western trading bloc um, can't be perceived as an intelligent move. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this could be his biggest mistake ever. The article I mentioned, you know, they're talking about some other very senior people who are saying that, you know, China can't be tied to Putin and that this was a, a big mistake. So, you know, people are speaking out. High people that you would think, you know, they're running a big risk by doing so. Here's the numbers that I love. The GDP of Russia is 2.5% of global GDP. The GDP of the allies now who are now have come together uh, to oppose the Ukraine invasion is 54% of the global GDP. Mm -hmm. So this guy is backing a, a country with 2.5% of the global GDP and basically is issuing a you know, threat and a warning in, uh, to, to 50, over 50% of global GDP. Does that make any sense? Is that <laughs> rational? It's insane. It's insane. And it's just, <laughs> it's you know, insane. It, it's, wait, what? And you've got to think that, as they say, there are high ranking people in China who are, who are having that thought and, and saying that to each other. Where that can lead, we don't know, but it's insane. And it, to me, it's a mark of hubris yeah. that he just thought his position was so powerful that he, he said, oh, let, let me just uh, link up with this, uh, this fellow authoritarian here. <laughs> Uh, and have, a, as I said, have a junior partner in the war against the West. Oh, my God. But, you know, it also reminds me, Jonathan, that so not only is he a terrible geopolitical strategist, but he's not a very good capitalist either. Neither was Mao. And so, you know, Xi Jinping has been wanting to run the whole thing. And he was the one who was taking the country last year back toward more state control and, and reigning yeah. in these darn capitalists. It was all concentrated in one person, him. And I think you quoted somebody as saying, no, you know, he, he's not a very good capitalist and he can't really run this all very well. In fact, he's pretty inept. So again, it's hubris for him to think that he could do that. But, you know, he, he had a vision for China. He doesn't want any more boy bands out there. He wants real men in China. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and I was wanted to make sure, uh, going back to your point about the control, just yesterday I, I was with a 28-year-old American young man who had gone to China to work and live for a while and who cleared out in 2019 because he was, you know, people were just starting to yell at him on the street. It was getting so bad. But he said that uh, there was a bar that the uh, the foreign people, you know, frequented and you'd be in that bar and in comes, he saw this happen, in comes the Chinese police. They make everybody pee in a cup in the bar. Oh my God. And if, if they found traces of marijuana, as they did with this one guy from California, because they hadn't gone out of his system yet, they took him off to six weeks of, uh, of training in, in you know, anti-drug thought. And another young woman 
she's riding her moped, and I think she was Chinese, and she uh, gets hit by a car who was in the wrong, but they gave them both blood alcohol tests, and she had a little alcohol in her system because she was riding home from a bar. So they sent her to six weeks of uh, training on substance abuse. This is going on today. It's an amazing amount of control where you're in a bar and the police can come in and make you pee in a cup. Yeah. Well, the sense that I get is that when she wants something done and wants the control and wants the, the, the ideological purity and the internet censorship and the behavioral censorship and everything, that sends a message to the local state police, if you will, or the city police, if you will, to behave like this. They get rewarded for that. They're almost auditioning mm -hmm. to she and their higher ups to see how much they can control people and how strict they can be in enforcing their ideological and behavioral thought. I mean, that's pretty clear that that's how a dictatorship works. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and they're doing it in Shanghai now as far as people who might be violating yeah. the rules. The police are breaking down doors and right. You know, so let's there. get back to the to the topic at hand for a second. The Russia Xi alliance and the, the the thing that's happened that set the world on fire since we talked last. Where does this go now? I mean, is it really like is it is it that she has strapped himself to a bucking bronco of Putin and he just has to ride this out and hope for the best? Or do you think he's influencing him behind the scenes? Or you know, is he willing to continue to risk the West's wrath? I mean, obviously, you know, uh, everybody is, is is aware now that the friend of my enemy is my enemy. Obviously, we're now aware that, you know, uh, she and Putin are our enemies. They've declared that they are. So well, so far, what he and and his apparatus have been doing is walking this very careful line. OK, you know, just trying not to step over a red line with the West. And I think that's what they're going to continue to do. You know, they're not voting with us uh, in, in the UN. Yeah. They're not coming out and saying this war is wrong. But on the other hand, they're certainly pulling their punches because they don't want to risk uh, violating any sanctions. So, for example, I, I would not yeah. foresee them giving them any military hardware right. because, uh, as you said, they don't want to all of a sudden have sanctions coming from 54 percent of the world GDP you know, against them. And so I think that that's what's going to prevail and they're going to be giving them limited help. For example, they, you know, they're building a new gas pipeline and so on, but all of that's quite limited. You know, all of that isn't going to add up to nearly anything like what they were going to sell to Germany through the Nord Stream pipeline. Oh, yeah. So I would say they're just going to kind of be sort of helping Russia a little bit, but making sure they don't cross the red line with the West. You know, it's interesting how tenacious, though, dictators could be. I mean, Jim, let's never forget, both Stalin and Mao died of natural causes. You know, they oh, were never yeah. they were never deposed. Stalin never allowed a faction to assassinate him or stab him in the neck with a, a an ice pick, a la mm -hmm. Trotsky or whatever. Mm. And, you know, nobody ever took out Mao. He took out between, you know, his political opponents and the Great Famine and the Great Leap Backwards, if you will, he took out probably best estimates between 30 and 60 million people. Um, I've read yeah, both. It's mind boggling. Mind boggling. But I've, yeah. I've certainly, I'm certainly going to go with 30 to 40 million. I mean, I mean, I don't think that's yeah. much to dispute. And maybe 20 million for Stalin. I mean, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. 20 to 30 million and, and, and a population for Stalin that was tiny. I mean, at the mm -hmm. time, Russia probably only had 120 million people. 
You know, we're not talking about 220 million people out of the 20 million that Stalin took out. So both these people actually just, you know, passed away, you know, in their beds. They had natural causes. Nobody was able to get rid of them. Mm. That's the kind of feeling I'm getting, you know, that these guys really had to control everything. And they're listening to everybody and they've got their ear to the, the ground and any dissident is crushed before they even have an opportunity. And thought is not allowed. And, you know, the press is not allowed. I don't see where the... You know, the, the only place that something could come from is like a bullet, you know, to one of them from a disgruntled general or disgruntled oligarch that was able to pay off an assassin who's close enough to either Putin or Xi to take them out. I mean, I, I don't really see where the organization, you know, organizational ability would ever come from. They've been kind of ensured that the same way Stalin and Mao did. You have a thought on that? I think that's true of Putin at this point, and he's being very clever at the propaganda, you know, the information limitations he's imposing and the propaganda he's putting out there. And, and he's got big majority of the Russian population yeah. believing that there's an existential threat to Russia. Yeah. And now he's going and, and now we made this terrible mistake of saying that, oh, we're here to weaken Russia so it can never do this again. You know, what are they thinking? Because they're just playing right into Putin's hands. Now he can use our own words and saying, hey, they're coming after us. This is the nation is at stake. And so he's funny. He's, I have a different take on that. I don't go care. ahead. I don't care that, that Anthony Blinken said that and put that out publicly. I don't care anymore what Putin thinks or, or whatever. I don't think we have to hide our disdain for him or our, our hatred of Russia. I don't, no, but um, I think that, that I uh, yeah. he, this was helping him with his propaganda to his people. Yeah. You know, he's so why do them, that? He's going to tell, tell the man anyway. You know, basically. Well, why do that? Well, that was the other side of that yeah. argument, truly. But I mean, that did, uh, to me, it was an unforced error. Okay. But nevertheless, the fact is, he's got them so brainwashed that there are Russians in Ukraine who are on the phone with their parents, telling them they're being bombed, and their bom- parents are telling them, "No, you're not." <laughs> that's scary. So I would say with a Putin that that's a pretty accurate description at this point. It's hard to see, and and the scary thing is that uh, as demented as he is. He could drag us into a big, you know, very big mess. Uh, with with Xi, I I'm just not quite sure that that's also true. Well, they have so uh, much more to lose, Jim. I mean, one of those billionaires in China, you know, has has has, has a life. I mean, they have, they own so yeah. much. They're so wealthy. I mean, you know, they 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 have so much more to lose over there. They've got gleaming cities and bullet trains and you know, fantastic expo centers and shopping malls and theme parks. I mean, this isn't Russia. Mm. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's a real. You know, I mean, there there's a lot of really wealthy. There are more billionaires in China than there are in the United States right now. I mean, these are global mm. players. They have a lot to lose. There's nobody in Russia that ha- they've already lost everything anyway. Yeah. Yeah, except for this handful of oligarchs who are losing their yachts. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Except for a handful <laughs> of oligarchs, they really don't, you know. And the tech middle class has already fled. Two hundred and fifty thousand Russians already in Israel and in Armenia and in Romania, and they're going to be like the white Russians were in Paris. They're going to all filter into Dublin one day and open a tech center. You know, it'll be instead of you know driving a taxi, they'll be writing software. But that's another story. But I do um, think that in China, though, there's still enough of the communist apparatus in place that. Uh, it isn't necessarily true that one man can really insulate himself. I mean, I know Mao did, but uh, I, I just think know. I think there's still a bit of hope there that I don't know. You can I've said, see. I've, I've said this before. I've seen those pictures of the of, of him at the Politburo for the the last two you know plenary sessions. Three hundred yeah. people were there sitting there. Every one of them, 
every one of them said, yep, that's right. She, mm -hmm. there's no question, whatever you say, not one voice was, was, was raised in an official publication saying, maybe you should consider something else. 300 mm -hmm. dummies sat there. So how, how could this be that there's really some sort of a, I think the dissension has to come well, from elsewhere. But I mean, but back then things weren't going so badly, you know, okay. things start Fair going enough. to hell in a handbasket. And as you say, all of those things you just described start, you know, crumbling then I, I could see, you know, perhaps something happening. So I'm not putting odds on it, but, yeah. but I, do, I do believe there's some hope in the communist apparatus, you know, the structure, that there could be a, just a, a shift in the winds. Uh, okay. you know, they could start blowing against Xi. Okay. You know, the last thing I want to talk about is my, my sense of though how absolutely, and I really want to hear your thoughts on this, how thin-skinned Xi and the Communist Party are. You know, they're fighting with everybody. They fought. They they fought with the Sweden over the bookseller. You know, they 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 fought with Norway, who awarded a prize to you know to to one of their poets or something like that. I mean, mm -hmm. they're fighting with everybody. I mean, it's like there's no slight, there's no uh, insult to them that they won't like you know get um take umbrage of and make it a you know hysterical calling out. You know, they're fighting with mm -hmm. Australia. They're fighting with. Japan, they're fighting with the Koreans. I mean, mm -hmm. South Korea. I mean, it it really is remarkable, you know, how how mm -hmm. like thin skinned like the whole they, they are. Unless you completely suck up to everything that they say, they they basically you know throw the book at you. Yes, uh, and that includes a, a company that might include uh, or, or not include oh, yeah. Taiwan and a map of China on right, the T-shirt, yeah. right? Or the yeah. NBA player who might have That's something right. to say. So do you think, though, Jonathan, I mean, that sounds to me just like it's emblematic of this totalitarian approach to things, that it's all black and white, all or nothing, and we're not going to tolerate, you know, any little thing because who knows what that, that would lead to. I don't know. It's, it's a fascinating question. Why? It kind of is coming up uh, from the West where we, we, we just simply criticize everybody 24 hours a day, seven days a week and, you know, throw mud at our opponents, mm -hmm. hold them names and idiots and insult them 24 hours a day. You know, and no, but there are no consequences to that, really. It's, it's sort of like part of like what, what a you know, free speech democracy is. It's just just really interesting. Yeah, well, but maybe it's just a modus operandi that uh, extends not only from their own, you know, common Chinese citizen on the street to Australia. Yeah. It's like yeah. we 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 don't we're not going to let you talk bad about us. And that does circle back to 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 uh, to their alliance with Putin because he's not going to allow anything, any citizens or anybody to say criticize anybody in China. So it's one safe place for them to 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 ally to, knowing that with Putin in charge, they're not going to be able to uh, they're not going to have any blowback from this thing. Well. Yeah. I will wrap up by basically saying um, we're in complete agreement. This was a, a huge miscalculation, but in mm. its own way, a good thing for the West. You know, our eyes are if they didn't open before, our eyes are open now. I mean, we, yes. the whole Western world, I mean, from Wales to Brisbane, you know, from San Diego to the Loire Valley. I mean, most sentient people understand that the world is now really uh, back to a bipolar division, very much like you mentioned about World War II, you know, with the Axis powers in Asia and the Axis power in Europe. I mean, it, it, it's, it's all, you know, Jim, how many historians have always said that uh, World War II was really an extension of World War I? 
the exact right. same players were at it. The same, you know, the submarine blockades. I mean, really, they said that over and over again. Many books I've read have, have said that. I sound like Trump. Yes. I say that many books I've read. People are saying. <laughs> There is a lot of historians say well, this feels like a replay of World War II all of a sudden with a rising Asian power bent on imperialism and a European you know, bad guy that's you know, crossing borders and, and slaughtering people. Yeah, and wanting to uh, rebuild an empire. Both of them want to rebuild an empire. Exactly. Yeah. And, that, that, right. And that then, they perceived was taken away from them, which is which was Versailles and the Germans in, in Russia and the, and the fall of the Soviet Union. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, they want it back. The parallels are uncanny. But another thing that struck me, it's just amazing because people say, oh, we're back to World War II fighting. When you look at the aerial photos of the trenches in Ukraine, you think you're looking at World War One. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so, yeah. you know, how many steps backward can we take? Yeah. At least we don't have a cavalry. Nobody's taking out a horse. Jim, um, I'd like you to do me a big favor. Stand by and uh, be on call for some more podcasts should the developments warrant this. Uh, Obviously, things are changing so fast that we didn't even anticipate having this one based on the uh, Russian-Chinese alliance. But we we needed to talk about this. And who knows what we're going to need to talk about in two weeks. So promise me you'll stand by and be ready. I will. I'll be ready. Uh, Let's keep a good thought that it isn't... uh... There aren't, the developments in between aren't too bad. <laughs> right, let's, hope that, let's hope for that too, Jim. But I'll look forward to it. Thank you so much once again. Thanks, Jonathan. Listeners, thanks again for tuning in to Out of the Box with Jonathan Russo. Your input is valuable to us, and we'd really like to hear from you. Please send us an email anytime with feedback at OOTB with jrusso at gmail.com and follow us on our Twitter page, OOTB with Jay Russo. This has been a copyrighted production of Grapevine Incorporated. All rights reserved.